Hello and welcome wherever you're listening to Between the Ears with Luke McPherson. I'm your host Luke and it is an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Truly it means the world to me that anyone would take time out of their day to have a listen to this little show of mine. And today on the show, I have an excellent guest for you. This man went from running football clinics for kids to being one of the key figures at the Fremantle Football Club. His name's Joe Bridie. He's the Chief Operating Officer at the Dockers, and it was awesome to have a chat with him. We talk about leadership, culture, and creating a work environment where people can become their best selves, which is something that I'm definitely into at the moment before i go too much further though i must apologize obviously the devout listeners of this show our biggest fans would have realized that we didn't release an episode last fortnight and obviously that's something unfortunate um and not something that i want to make a habit out of but it was out of my control and it's part of the journey sometimes setbacks and failure uh they're all part of it it's um i used to be the type of person that would give up if something went wrong but i'm not that type of guy anymore so put my head down and get back to work. So yeah, very sorry about no episode last week, but we are back this week with a vengeance. Now, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, leave a rating or a review and tell your friends. It truly means the world when I hear people have told their friends about the show when people leave a rating or a review. It's very special stuff. I think that's about enough for me though. Episode 12, Joe Bridie, let's go. Well, here we are. We're on episode 12 of Between the Years, and let me tell you, 12 is actually one of my favourite numbers. Um, so maybe that's a sign, maybe it's not. And when I eventually get drafted, who wears 12 at the Dockers? Do you know? Number 12. Is that's there one at the really moment? really good question. There should be. <laughs> well, whoever it is, <laughs> this is awkward. they're getting delisted because um, I'm coming for number 12. I'm coming for their spot. Now, I'm joined... I mentioned we're in the Dockers, we're in a little dungeon down here in the recording studio by Joe Bridie. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me, Lukey. Uh, yeah, privileged to be on, mate. Very, very exciting. Now, I have always thought about you. I've known you for a very long time. Genuinely, I was thinking on the way here that I can't remember anything in my life without you being in it. So that's a bit of a weird way to think about it. I can't remember my life without you being in it. It was weird. I was thinking about this this morning when we had this on, and I was um, it was just a bit of nostalgia thinking back that I was being interviewed on a podcast by a kid that I knew when he was uh, in pre-primary. So um, yeah, excited, mate, and um, yeah, nice to share the room with you and have a bit of a chat. And also another thing, obviously, I've known you for a long time, and I've always looked at you and what you do, and just like I've always thought his job's so cool. That'd be a great job to have. And then I was thinking but I have no idea what it is. So maybe that might be a good place to start. What do you What do you actually do? Yeah, it's an interesting one. A lot of my friends and other people that I run into think that I work for six months a year in the footy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in the last couple of years, moved into a role as Chief Operating Officer at uh, obviously the Dockers. And um, that role really encompasses creating an environment for our people where they can be their best self, as our senior coach, Justin Longmuir, talks a lot about. Um, and within that, I oversee departments that um, look after our IT, our HR, our leadership and culture programs, uh, our strategic projects, and really uh, the systems and processes that underpin the operations across 
the organisation, working closely with each of the execs and our CEO, Simon Garlick, and I've loved my role. I've been at the club for 12 years now. I arrived with a full head of hair um, and was quite slim. I'm now not so slim. <laughs> we can just find a better photo if you and, want. It's audio, mate. No one can see <laughs> And uh, I don't have any hair. <laughs> um, but when I first arrived, it was really weird. Like, um, I got a call from a guy called Chris Bond, and he was the GM of footy at the time. And I was 22, and he kind of said, look, We've got a job in kind of risk and compliance in a footy department. Um, he heard my name through a couple of people at the club and said, do you want to come down? And I just finished my degree in um, environmental health and safety. And I didn't really see a passion or a journey in mining or construction. And I thought, well, I've always loved sport and it was a passion of mine. So why won't I start? And that was in like 2011 when Mark Harvey was the coach. Um, that's an interesting story for later um, yeah. but um, then kind of gradually grew through the football department and took on leadership roles and, and joined our exec in the footy department and then an opportunity came to look at the broader business and one of those things I've always been pretty passionate about is continuing to challenge myself and find the next opportunity and that was the next opportunity and, and here we are now. Now you seem pretty set and we always start the show with gratitude and obviously you seem pretty set your life from the outside I suppose looks like things are going pretty well for you in terms of your role and your and your life so I guess maybe we should touch on gratitude while we're here now do you want to take the reins mate I'm going to flip it back on you because I'm interested to hear you first mate today I I think you put it on everyone else so be interested to see what your three are I've got a couple of weird ones, but anyway, um, as you well know, I recently gained some new housemates, um, which it's yeah, it's been it's been interesting. So my my brother and his, you gained them, or they gained you? I think they probably gained me, and right. I catered to them. But yeah, it's nice. great. I'm very grateful. Um, so my brother and his wife and their and their two children moved in, and genuinely. Um, it's just been so great. Obviously, there's some challenges this morning when I was having a shower and kicking toys out of the way so that I could reach the soap and stuff like that. That was that was an interesting <laughs> one. But um, it's so great for whatever reason. We probably um, haven't spent as much time with them as I have with my sister's kids. Um, but it's just so good that having them in my life. And you, you know what it's like. You come home and there's a kid who knows your name and seems interested. Sometimes you wake up and one of the children's looking you dead in the eye and somehow got into your room. But it's been so good spending more time with them. And um, as you all know, you're a family man yourself. Just, mate, family's the best thing ever. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Now, on row highlight, coming here, interesting. There's a truck carrying a bunch of grass trees. Yeah, no grass trees? Grass trees, yep. And I'm like... Like grass trees, and then I just started thinking about Australia and grass trees in the backyard, and I'm like, "How good is this place?" Like, if you show those to anyone else in the world, they'd be like, "What the hell is that?" I reckon like, some people in this yeah. potty wouldn't really know what a grass tree is, but your backyard had lots of grass we trees. We had grass trees in the backyard. Yeah, so we grass trees in their backyard. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a cool part of the world that I live in. But um, yeah, just was thinking, love Australia, so grateful to be in this place. So many iconic things that we have here and was thinking about what a lucky country we're in. And I did my first marathon on Sunday. So grateful to be alive. Uh, Not grateful for the pain that my feet and knees have been in for the last week. But the main thing 
on course at an endurance event, people are just so kind, like getting around, you know, I was in the Hurt Locker and there was no secret and people were saying, keep going, mate. I was just so grateful to be in an environment like that and for the generosity of people. Mate, it's more power to you. I, uh, I saw the photos after your marathon and I was thinking back to when I did my did first marathon. And yeah, let's just say the last eight Ks, if there's any footage out there, please make sure it's deleted. Cause <laughs> Get rid of it. I think I saw my wife at about the 33K mark and she had a big smile on her face and was proud of me to finish. And I said, <laughs> I might have yelled at her and said, stop filming me right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I, it was a good experience to get it done, but I don't think I'll ever see myself back there again. Not in a rush. Maybe one day. Anyway, over to you. Give me three. Three gratitude. Um, look, you, you stole my thunder a little bit with the first one. I've got three gorgeous little girls. It actually makes me a little bit emotional talking about it, but I get home from work and uh, walk in the house and these three kids just, their faces light up and they scream your name and you, um, and it really, something that I talk a lot about in my life is, is purpose um, and I love my job and I'm so lucky to do what I do, but purpose and the reasoning why in everything we do and athletes are the same, I think, when we look at some of our players, our men's and women's program, um, Purpose also gives you perspective, um, and uh, I'm the luckiest man in the world to have Rosie, who's six, Clementine, who's four, and little Adelaide, who's almost two, um, three girls. Who would have thought? They say athletes have girls, Luke, so um, I'm not sure if that's true. There's, they uh, also say that there's an exception to every rule. Yes, so I might be that one say. exception. Um, and and my, my amazing wife, Jane, we've been together since the end of school, um, and yeah, um, in terms of life and having uh, what you want, I couldn't have dreamt of having what I have now with my with my family at home. Um, number two, uh, so I grew up in the Swan Valley um, and grew up with three older siblings and two parents that uh, probably couldn't have worked harder to give me the upbringing that I had. I went to a um, private or boys school in Trinity College. And at the time, it didn't probably seem like that much money, but my parents, I was the fourth of our kids, of their kids, to go through private schooling. Mum was a funeral director. Dad's actually a farrier. So for those that don't know, puts the shoes on the bottom of the the thoroughbreds, the horse racer's feet. Very obscure job. And they gave up everything for me um, to, to play sport and... Um, go to a good school and um, and have really strong values uh, and um, we've had some rocky roads especially with my dad over the journey uh, which has been really tough in recent years but um, as a kid and getting an upbringing that not many people give uh, to get um, you just look back and then I think of the same thing now with my kids I just go I just want to give you everything you could possibly have um, to not about it's not about being successful but just love life um and and really care about the people around you so my parents um what they did for me in my upbringing is unbelievable um and the last one's where we are now in this industry um like every sometimes and your brother included um i don't really like talking about footy because my life's footy but uh, I just love what it gives to everyone. Anyone can connect to sport, whether you're a supporter, a volunteer, and I want a kid that wants to be an athlete down the track. Um, 
the media person uh, in the family um, around the family table to have conversations about elite sport it's just something that people can connect to and that's what uh, we as a club drive a little bit in the ethos and also what this sport gave me like it's given me a career for 12 years who knows if it'll be the career for years to come um, but I'm just so privileged um, and that's probably the gratitude piece is to have the opportunity to work in a sport that people are passionate about sometimes passionate in anger <laughs> Um, sometimes passionate and sadness, um, uh, but people give up their hard earned on the weekends to go and watch this game that we all love, and um, it's our job to be custodians of what that game is and allow people to to share in it and celebrate it and love it and yeah. So they're my my three gratitude pieces. Lucky. Good three, mate. I knew you weren't going to let me down, and you certainly didn't. You've done you've done very well there. Now. You did mention a bit about your role and obviously get a lot of athletes on the show, but the reason that I wanted to get you on is you give a little bit of a different perspective. Obviously, the athletes are very driven to you know what they're actually doing, but part of your role is what goes on around them and that obviously hopefully translates to on-field success. Now, I want to start by just tell me a little bit about what did you do today, for example? What does the role actually entail? Because I know that there'll be lots of different days, but... Something like today, obviously there's a game tomorrow. Yeah, um, no. Uh, so what goes on around your life? Big game tomorrow. So really it's kind of making sure from an operational sense uh, in terms of off the stadium, um, all of our key partners, uh, all of our key stakeholders, our people understand and know what their role looks like and everyone's been communicated to in the right way leading up to the game. Um, and... And really that all the checks and balances are in place that people can execute their role. Now, from a footy perspective, that's obviously with Peter Bell and and Justin and and they drive that component. But there's much more to a game when you have 50,000 screaming people in a stadium um, in terms of the corporate hospitality we provide, your general member, uh, access to the stadium, dealing with key stakeholders, government officials. Um, So there's a lot that goes into making sure that every aspect of the game runs really smoothly. Um, and people, as I said to the start, at the start, they've paid their hard earned to come to the game. They need to have an amazing experience. Some parts of that experience we won't be able to control, and hopefully, when this party comes out, we've had a win uh, the Len Hall game for Anzac Day. But even um, the the amazing kind of celebration that we get to have at certain games every week. So tomorrow night's this Anzac Day Len Hall game. Um, and the celebrate is our twenty sixth time doing it, and last year. Um, we had this 104-year-old vet cite the ode, 104 years old. Like, he didn't get to do it the year prior because of COVID, but the chills that that puts on the back of your neck and the, the anthems being sung um, and the production of that as a club is pretty special. So today is really a checks and balances day. And then a lot of it's really the strategy. Like, we put out a massive... Um, strategic plan that covered off on a number of different areas and and really as a club that was for us to achieve what we want to achieve by 2025 so it's continually aligning to that strategic plan of where we are so spending a lot of time with our CEO Simon Garlic to kind of cross-check where we are in terms of each element and football our culture our people um, community our members and fans and 
finance and infrastructure and our stability as an organisation. So that's where my role kind of sits now. It used to be a lot more with the athletes sitting on the bench and listening to headsets and getting yelled at occasionally, but um, it's now more looking at the holistic strategy of the business. Now, let's go back to the start because I want to start the talk. We always go chronologically here. We want to talk about the start of your career. I know that you said that it was you know, our phone call 12 years ago and here you are, but there's obviously a lot of steps that have happened from there. Where did you, where did you start off and what's sort of been the progression into this massive role that you're in now? Yeah, it was, um, as I said at the start, like it was really weird. Um, I, got a, I didn't know who Chris Bond was, and a lot of people know who Chris Bond is. But I got a phone call and he said, look, we want to have a chat. We've got a role going at Freo Footy Club. And at the time, I was doing clinics at Perth Demons Football mm. Club. I was the guy rolling the ball under um, working at the West Australian Football Commission when I was finishing my degree. Uh, I think I was 22, maybe 21, actually. Um, and I went out a coffee with him. He actually stung me a bit because he said, I need to meet you for a coffee, but I want you to be there at 7 a.m. on a Monday morning. And I looked at my calendar. It was a public holiday. And I was like, what the hell? Like, yeah, are you here? serious? Anyway, so me trying to be the ultimate professional, rocked up in my black slacks, my polo, um, Fremantle Cafe Strip, uh, there's no one there. It's public holiday. I'm gone. So yeah. I text him and said, "Mate, the cafe you said's closed." He rocks up, board shorts, thongs, okay. casual as. So it was the first test. Yeah. He's like, "Is this young kid gonna rock up on a public holiday yeah. at seven a.m. Yeah. and want the job?" And I'm, I've rocked up in my slacks. So yeah, I was ready. ready to I was go. ready to go. Yeah. So that's where it started. Anyway, so I started out doing a, a first year. It was with Mark Harvey's last year. I kind of do a coordinator the operations of the team, training, logistics, all those types of things. And as you well know, um, Harbs departed in a pretty interesting way. It was pretty quick. Um, and uh, that night, um, myself and another guy I worked closely with, Scotty Baker, got told by Bondi to go to the airport and pick up our new coach. So got in the car. I'd actually, at that time, been working the job for a year and I had my first um, ACL reconstruction. From rolling the ball at clinics too hard? No, no. I was playing very average level of football. So I was actually driving the car to go get Ross and have my knee brace on. And um, we picked him up from the airport and he jumped in the car. Um, and away that journey went. So Ross Lyon, this um, coach that obviously had been headhunted by the club, yeah. arrives at the club. I'm 22 years old. From a media perspective, no one really knew much about Frio. Like we were still young. We still are. Yeah. Um, and we'd gone and got probably what was considered the best coach in the competition to come and coach our club. And I think that was really a, a pretty massive turning point in yeah. the club's history, um, whereby um, this guy had knew how he wanted us to play, had really, really strong standards and expectations on how people perform in their roles. And he was going to get the most out of you. And if you weren't willing to um, go the hard yards, then... You weren't willing to be in a high-performance environment. And that was a little bit what Ross was about um, from my learning as a young man. So then he joined the players of Pavlich and Sandlands and McFarlane and Fife. And um, and really, we went on this journey from 2012 to 2015 when Frio yeah. got to the pinnacle. Yeah. Um, so in my third year at the club, we made this AFL grand final. By this time, I was working kind of overseeing our governance in... Um, the football department, um, and it was an amazing roller coaster. And at the time when we lost it, 
we were in the chain rooms after the game and you live and breathe footy once you're in it. Like you work six days a week, travel with the team, you're up late, you're always on call. And everyone in the chain rooms was like crying and it was really emotional. It was like this devastation that Fremantle had this chance to get their first premiership we missed it. And then um, I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. I um, At the time, I look back now, I'm like, far out. If we made a grand final now, I would be I was just so invested and, and that's what we're trying to achieve. But um, I look back now and I really didn't get it. So we missed that and then we made two prelims and at the end of 2015, we were kind of considered one of the, the clubs that had had this sustained success we were with mm. the Sydneys and the Hawthorns and Geelongs and we've been to- talked about at that at that level and the club was in a really strong position um and we know what the story happened then so then from 2016 2019 the bottom fell out of it a little bit yeah um all these great players left the club um over this time i kept being elevated through the football department became our um senior footy ops manager and and really it was kind of accountable for all of that and then a guy that i'd worked closely with so long which i talked about at the start and chris bond he departed the club at the end of 2018 and in that time i stepped into an acting role as our footy ops manager across football um and peter bell joined our football department came off our board and he's a great friend of footy club and allowed me to continue to grow while peter joined the business to become um a gm of football performance and we were really having significant change. We had a lot of turnover in our people. We had a lot of turnover in our playing list. And this is when I probably established this real passion for leadership and culture. And um, that was my kind of calling that I just wanted to make sure that I could create an environment where people could get the most out of themselves. Um, and ultimately at the end of, I think, um, 19, Ross obviously departed the club and everyone knows the background out and he did a lot for the club but it was at a time when um the club was obviously looking for new ideas and, and fresh faces and um in line with that our ceo steve rossich left um and then came in justin longmuir and simon garlic and then at this time it was an opportunity for me to join our exec um, because i've been around for a long time and understood how it all functioned and really took on a role of kind of um, a GM role that aligned with our exec and belly um, in his capacity. And it was this amazing moment whereby you had Simon Garlic, Justin Longmuir, Peter Bell, and our president, Dale Alcock, and this really strong alignment of, all right, we're in this together. We've kind of we've hit, rock, not rock bottom in a sense, but we're not where we want to be mm-hmm. um, as an organisation. And as a, a young kind of leader in the business, I was just so excited about being a part of that. Um, and so then kind of went on a journey with, with Justin and Peter in, I guess, reconfiguring what our football program looked like um, and starting from the beginning um, a little bit. And it was just amazing to be on that journey with a, a new coach. Mm-hmm. I, I'd obviously arrived at the club with halves and he left very quickly and then... Um, Ross was established, but to watch Justin instill what he wanted to do and then see these young players kind of take over, obviously um, amazing leaders like David Mundy and Nat Fife, but then see these young guys like Andy Brayshaw and Caleb Sarong and Alex Pierce really grew as a leader. Um, was just so inspiring. Uh, and I kind of got to a stage where after the COVID years, I knew what I wanted to 
what I wanted to achieve, and that was to be a leader. Um, but that meant I had to kind of get out of footy. Yep. So that meant that I had to kind of go into footy ops, and that's get out of footy ops, sorry. And that meant that I had to kind of step into a, another space, and chief operating officer is it. In terms of now, one, I, I wrote the word culture down before coming in today because I knew that that's a massive thing and it's and it's been sort of revolutionised, I suppose, within the last decade and the importance of having a culture across a whole footballing organisation translating into on-field success. What are some of your... I know that you said, you know, culture is a... It's a bit of a buzzword, but what are some of your... Um, your philosophies on culture. One example I would give on the way through here, and obviously you're a, you're a nice guy, but the way that you're talking to people around the office, it genuinely, it like struck me. It's like he's a pretty good operator. The way that he's able to talk to people and saying good day and checking in on people, that I'm sure that they would all feel like they're actually valued and not just a number in an organisation. Yeah, oh, look, it, it's something that was instilled in me as a kid. It was funny. I go back to when I was a young boy and um, played for <laughs> Maylands Cricket Club and we could never get a team together. So Friday night, my dad and I used to spend Friday nights for two hours calling every kid we knew to come to play <laughs> in our team. And somehow we used to always keep winning. Like we just pull all these misfits together. Mm-hmm. It was actually a team of misfits. Um and I don't know, from a young kid, that was always like a thing that I just like galvanizing groups. Um, and, and Justin, a senior coach, has this quote that says, um, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And, and I love it. Mm. I, I just keep, I always um, think about it because it's so valid in every single way. If you want to get the most out of someone and you want to inspire other people, Forget about telling them how much you know about your job. Make sure you know they know that you really care about them um, and you want to see them succeed. Um, and you're instilling and elevating them um, with the confidence to be their best self. And one of our big values, one of our anchors as a club, to be their best self. And I, I love that idea um, that that's what my job is. That's actually across the business now. There's governance and compliance and all the other stuff and all the kind of sometimes people say that Joe's the bad news bear at the club normally when I walk into meetings there's something that's probably not great um, I remember during COVID our AFLW program one of our players Emma Driscoll, started calling me the bad news bear because every time I would come in she would say that it meant that a border was being shut down and Mark McGowan was changing the whole landscape so um, but yeah uh, and for me that's that's all that I if there's, there's a legacy of what I've been at the club it's that I cared about people um, I wanted to see them get the most out of themselves and be successful and, and ultimately leave a legacy that, that they're proud of and at our club um, part of it is that we want to leave a powerful legacy so if the club's going to leave a powerful legacy it means the people around it need to do that so we're only here for a short period of time I've been here for 12 years so not so short but um, yeah when we pass it on to the next person, you want to leave it better than when you got it. Um, They're pretty special places, football clubs and sporting organisations, especially elite sport. They, they're almost like front runners in the way that they go about you know, their people and making sure that they're 
culture and stuff and a lot of businesses you see looking into sports teams like it's quite often businesses will study you know the all blacks or something for example and those type of attitudes how special is it being a part of a sporting organization is that something that's changed since you first got here i think society's changed quite a lot more and talk about your potty and uh and mental health like you need to invest in the person first uh, and people are everything. And you look at the clubs that have been successful in the AFL and elite sport, and you go straight away, you go Geelong and Sydney. And one of the two consistent themes, I've had great people over a long period of time and really strong governance as organisations. There's a guy called Peter Jackson who went into Melbourne and basically reinvigorated the organisation. His two focuses are those two things, people and governance. And then they went on, win a premiership. Mm-hmm. Like... What's actually needed to set up an elite sporting organisation is pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but you just need to be consistent, and it's not consistent like consistent one big moment and then leave it for six months. It's like you at the moment with your fitness. Yeah. Like you need to be regimented and consistent in what you do. Culture and people and governance in elite sport is exactly the same. We need to do the same things all the time consistently, and sometimes we get it wrong. We need to reflect and go back and go again. But we need to make sure that we're constantly trying to stick to um, our own values, our own purpose, our own vision, and not someone else's, not a club down the road, not a club interstate, what is authentic to Fremantle Football Club. So in terms of answering your question, that's an amazing thing that's different to the corporate world because what we try and provide our people is a little bit what the athletes get. We've got a head of wellbeing and we invest in culture and team building. And I think society is seeing that as what you need to do now after COVID because people want to know that you care about them um, and they want you to invest in that. Um, and if you don't, people leave. <laughs> they go find other jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you and I have talked about. Yeah. So, um, like, retention of your best people will lead to success. Yeah. And not everyone's going to need a hug, but knowing that the hug is on offer if that's the case always handy you know what I mean now it's funny you say that because I'm not a big hugger (laughs) but we obviously brought in a guy by the name of Bob Murphy and he loves a hug yeah Um, yeah, call Bob the king of vibe because he is a vibe Bob Murphy Um, and he's been amazing for our organisation when you talk about that kind of stuff and just having those vulnerable conversations and it's not vulnerable in terms of Oh, singing Kumbaya and yeah. and making sure everyone's happy. It's vulnerable in that if you're vulnerable enough with another person, they trust you. Yeah. And if they trust you, then you're going to be thinking that you're, their interests are, um, are the kind of the first thing from a heart perspective that you're thinking about. But it also means when you have to have a challenging conversation, it's easy. Yeah. Um, you have challenging conversations with your family because you care about each other and you yeah. love each other. and we call it the Freo family. So if we created an environment where everyone feels like they're in a family, well, then we can have the hard chats. Um, so, yeah, bringing people up probably is great because I'm not a cuddler, but Bob's a cuddler. So we let Bob do the cuddle. Yeah, well, that's great. It's always good. Every organisation needs one person that's willing. <laughs> and, and the bad news bear can't be walking out of the either. <laughs> now, also, as part of your... Part of your role, not so much now, but for a lot of the time you were dealing with the players and and these, it always strikes me, these blokes are under so much pressure and now there's women as well, but these young men and women, they're still young, a lot of them are still in their 
20s, um, some of them early 20s, especially at the moment. What is sort of some of the challenges when it comes to helping out with players? Because I feel like as a general rule, society doesn't quite understand that these people are under all the pressure that they're under. And obviously in the past, within the last decade or so, with the Dockers, there's been a few blokes that have made probably headlines for the wrong reasons. But what's it like? What are some of the challenges that have come up with dealing with players and and how how they sort of feel, if you can understand where I've come from? Yeah, no, look, it's an interesting one because you're dealing with the elite percentage of society where they've gone through a significant regime as a young kid. You only get a few here and there that might come from other sports or join footy late in their life. And they've probably started, and it's great now that girls have the opportunity, they can start when they're in Oz kick as well. So yeah. I can't wait for my girls. But you go through this thing and you get to a stage where you're either one or two things. You're just so excited by being drafted and being put in this elite environment that you just can't believe you're so lucky to get there. Or it was always your destiny to do so. Now there's the other side of the coin where you don't get there and you're not thrust upon this uh, environment but it's almost like you do have greatness thrust upon you mm. like um, and unfortunately for a lot of athletes they haven't actually done anything yet yeah. like it's they've got to and what they've achieved to get there is amazing but in the eyes of the AFL and the AFL greats and what it means to be or an AFLW great you are only just at the beginning of your journey and you've worked so hard to get to the beginning of your journey so then getting into the environment and um, being scrutinised at every angle in terms of your fitness, your football skills, your investment now in your off-field, mm. um, media scrutiny, you've got these things now, these mobile phones that you can have any single person comment on what you say. Now, everyone has the right to have a comment yep. about footy in general or their team and their passion, but... Um, Sometimes the way in which those comments are portrayed or whether they're fair or not um, plays a part in athletes. So don't get me wrong, it is the most unbelievable environment ever. But when you look at it from that perspective, it's like, okay, you need to give balance to that. And the way you give balance is by providing reality and giving our players a holistic approach to being an AFL athlete and setting up the best environment possible where they can understand where what their strengths are, where their opportunities for improvement are, um, provide them with people that can mentor them through those opportunities. And then ultimately, it's up to the person to walk through the door. Like, uh, just because you get drafted or just because you get employed into a job doesn't mean that you're set. You need to be willing to invest in yourself to actually get the most out of it. And unless you're willing to actually do the hard yards, um, take on feedback, get back up, when you miss out an opportunity or fail, then you're always going to keep hitting those hurdles along the way. Um, but those people that do all those things and enjoy the opportunity to be in a high-performance environment, then um, they generally will succeed. Now, it might not be the 300-gamer or the 150-gamer, but they still get the most out of themselves, and that's still something to be proud of. So um, I guess for us with the environment that there is now, it's about creating something that um, can protect while driving investment in kind of being your best self, as I've said before. So, um, and we do that through investment in well-being, investment in a player development manager for off-field, having surrounding our players with people of great character. Saying that Simon Garlic, our CEO, has been massive of it. Uh, he talks about this thing called cultural fit and um, professional fit. And it's like, well, 
Uh, the professional fit we can work on. We can build people's capacity. But the cultural fit is who you are as a character, who you are as a person. So you need to be that first. Then let's get the capacity and that right as well. Um, and we want to put as many people in that quadrant as we can of really great professional fit, talented, um, invested, but then a great cultural fit. We want to see the club succeed, we want to see their teammates succeed, we want to see their colleagues succeed. So um, ultimately in terms of protecting players from that thing of the stresses that you're talking about, it's about providing the environment. And people do get stressed and people do have their own issues they need to work through, but then we just need to provide the resources to support them um, so that they can flourish. You talked a little bit then about the cutthroat nature of the industry, and I know that earlier on you touched on the transition from Mark Harvey to Ross Lyon, which you said we might circle back to, and here we are, we've circled back. What are your memories from the night at the airport? <laughs> um, I'll be honest, when you say circle back, I was very young in my career, so... Um, but it was, it was crazy, wasn't it? As it you was said, a, it was probably the most significant... It was unbelievable. I've been in the club for a year, um, so I was very new to elite sport, and and we were still just going about our business and everything else for the day, and um, I think Harves came out of a meeting and obviously had the discussion with the leaders at the club, um, and then he kind of left, and it was a little bit like that, you know, that kind of crickets around the building where mm. it's just like quiet and everyone's kind of looking at each other going, oh my God, what's happened here? Who's um, allowed to talk, who isn't? Yeah, exactly. Kind of keep your head down at that time because you yeah. don't want to be the next one. <laughs> um, so uh, then it kind of got the staff in the room and said, look, this isn't happening and we'll let you know. And it all turned really quickly. It was like, bang, all right, this, there's another guy coming in. So I think the players came in, they had a chat and, um, and Ross came in. And again, I, did, well, I followed footy. Everyone loves footy. I mm. knew who Ross Lyon was, but... You don't, um, you don't know uh, the aura that comes with Ross mm-hmm. um, and and Melbourne, and we think our bubbles, a bubble in WA, yeah. like Melbourne's big for you. Yeah. And this guy's obviously renowned, um, got his team to uh, grand finals, and being really driven mm. to want to achieve that. So I think there was an air of oh my god, this has happened, but also an air of oh, this is exciting. We want to take them for the players. Like we want to achieve the greatness that we think we deserve and, and to have a coach that could allow them to do that. And I think Matthew Pavlich says that um, although Ross was a very hard um, coach, uh, for not one second did he get the best out of his group. Um, and always tried to do that with, with that playing group in that era of 12 to 15. So Now, I know that you talked about getting your best self, but what is... How do you actually go about doing that, do you reckon? Is there a way that you could put that? Because I know that it's, you know, try a bit harder. Um, but how, <laughs> how, would you actually, how would you actually put it? Do you put ceilings on people? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. Um, I think I've had some really weird experiences. Weird is probably the wrong word. I've had these experiences in my life where I've probably... And again, put down is probably the wrong word. In year 10, going through that period where I was at a math teacher and it was like, um, TE next year, mum and dad sitting there, probably don't think Joe should look at doing TE. Um, like there's this low level maths class, now yeah, don't think it's for, for him. 
And it was one of these things that straight away I was just like, what? Because I, I wasn't an academic and I didn't, I didn't try that hard. Like I yep. went to school. I actually used to get a little bit of anxiety at school. Like I sometimes hated sitting in class, um, especially in English when you had to get the book and um, get the front of the class. And I, and so, but then this thing always came over me. As soon as someone ever said no, I always was like, oh yeah, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm. Like, um, and then I had this other thing when I was 19. And these, these, these moments in life, and it's where I'm probably a bit weird. I they like it though. burnt into your head. I like oh, it. It was, it was actually, it was really, the next one was even weirder. Like I was in, um, at my grandma's funeral. A really sad day for our family. And a long-time family friend um, came up to me after the funeral and hadn't seen me for 12 months. And I was 19. And I'd finished school and she came up and said, oh, how you going, Joe? What are you, what are you doing with yourself? And I said, oh, I'm at university, doing this degree, a um, couple of years in, hopefully finish and get out into the workforce. And she looked, paused and looked at me. didn't say anything. Mm. And then she looked at me and she's like, you're at uni? I was like, yeah. So, oh, just never thought you would, could have done that. Like, and, and she was not being mean in a sense, but it was just this like blunt, just came straight out of her it mouth. It was a natural reaction. It was a natural reaction. And then, like, seriously, until I, I'm kind of got over it a little bit, <laughs> but it was like this thing, like, mm. no way. Like, I'm going I'm to prove you wrong. Like, I'm going to get the most out of myself. Like, I'll... I want, I want to be proud of what I've done, um, and and that's probably where I get back to this ideology of best self, and it's something that I say because our club has as an anchor, huh? and I think I'm really passionate about. We talk about our professional development program at the club as best self, and it doesn't need to be the best. It doesn't need to be better than anyone else, but it needs to be something that you're really proud of, and it means that you've given the most effort possible that you can to achieving it. And it's something for me where this is, again, a little bit of my own mentality and probably my wife, Jane, at home, seeing that if she does listen to this, she would say, you just don't have a ceiling. Like as soon as you do something, you seem to want to go to another level. And it comes a little bit from, it's probably my own thing, where I fear of failure. Like yeah. I actually get worried about it not being good enough for someone where someone else is proud of me or so I guess for me it's like okay well what's the next thing like how can I get to the next level where I'll be proud of myself and it's probably a bit of a gap and probably a blind spot where I just go mate maybe you should take the little wins and look back and go shit that is amazing achievement and be proud yeah take up some of my own medicine in terms of what I preach but when I talked about other people, it's more about best self is that legacy piece, proud of who you are, proud of what you've done, um, and hopefully inspire someone else. Like, I don't know. I don't think it's up to just athletes to inspire people. There's, um, you see young people that come through sport management degrees, and I think, and I say to them, there's no reason why you can't go through a journey and get to a position, no matter what that position is, but... Mm. You can go through my path. I don't have the normal path that other people would have taken to be a chief operating officer. No. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. Um, but um, don't ever, ever let anyone tell you that they, you couldn't have done something or 
And it sounds very, very cliche, but it's something that I'm so driven by. And it's something I talk to my girls about all the time. I just hate the idea of someone saying you can't. And there were things that I couldn't. I thought I was going to be a very good cricketer, but I gave up because I didn't love it. Yeah. But now what I do now is different because I actually found the passion. Like, this is my passion. Yeah. So sometimes you might do something that you don't like and you might just stop. That's fine. But once you find a passion and you're like, this is what I want to do, far out, don't let go. This is my thing. Like, just go as hard as you can. Sometimes it'll cause you anxiety because you just... And that's probably something that I've had over time when I think, well, a bit too much going on. But um, that's a little bit of... That's a very long-winded answer to the best self. It's a good answer. So I used to... The thing that struck me about your answer about the, the funeral example, people used to say, you know, there's times in my life where people would say things like that to me, like, you can't. And I would go, yeah. You're right, I can't roll over. That was how I lived my life for a long time. And there was a variety of reasons. One, it's probably easier to agree with them because you don't have to put in the effort and probably the self-confidence of looking for other people's own sort of, you know, affirmation of what you can do. But there was a time probably within the last couple of years where that that switch flicks and you're like, nah, actually buggier. I reckon I, I, reckon I can. And when I think of the best self... I've said it on a podcast before, I think, that I'm striving for perfection. I'm never going to be perfect, but being on the journey is going to get me far closer than not getting on the path and at least having a crack. So it's, it's pretty special what you talked about there. And I think the, um, the interesting thing that you talk about, Luke, is that like perspective in what other people might see, sometimes you don't always see it yourself. Like, you're a great example. When you move down south and were taking an opportunity I was like far out I actually reflected and go I don't think I could do that mm. like the people should take a lot more confidence from things that they do that others can't yeah and you look at it in a footy analogy you don't have to be the high flying screamer or the the brownlow medalist yeah. or um, those things now there's people that do do that and that's amazing but it's also been inspired by what you do yeah um, and that's the thing that I probably, I think people can have blind spots and looking for what others have got. Um, you talk about gratitude. Um, no one has what I have. So just be proud of that. Yeah. Like, um, don't look to want what others have because then you'll end up following something you're not actually passionate about. Mm-hmm. That's the, and, um, but if you're doing something you aren't passionate about, then move on quickly and try and find something you are. One thing you touched on, which I found very interesting, is the what's next thing. And I'm obviously going and going and achieving a lot of goals, but I find every once in a while it's bloody exhausting to be looking at what's next from mics off, man to man. How do you deal with that exhaustion? Do you have the exhaustion of just being like, oh, I wouldn't mind putting my feet up at some point? Yes. Well, <laughs> um, I reckon... People that have that kind of thing in their head where they're always looking for something, it is fatiguing. Mm. Um, and and it does come from a fear of failure. Sometimes will come from a fear of failure or an insecurity or, you know, wanting to get the best out of yourself. Yeah. And that's where a lot of my stuff comes from. And that's where I would say that one of the best things that I've done since probably adulthood um, that I found really beneficial is having mentors. 
Um, my father-in-law is an amazing mentor that I lean on a lot. And he's been successful in business, but he's failed heaps of times. Um, and I lean on him for ideas, people in the industry that you lean on. There's people that you've got friendships with that you can have really vulnerable conversations. And that's why vulnerability with your mates is so important because, as I said to you before, they're actually the people that know you best and they say what you need to hear. Mm. I have a lot of those conversations with your brother. We have very... Um, open and frank chats about how we're going which is awesome because I just know that he knows that I've got his best interests at heart and I know that he's got mine um, and I think when you you kind of gradually see in life that people will establish this net, network of being comfortable and I think you need to kind of think of it as surrounding yourself with people that will be honest mm. um, and the next thing mentality is you need to have people that will say you're actually going really well yeah or no you need to kick up the ass yeah like it's time to get going um but also people that you need you can talk to and say I feel like I'm fatigued I feel like I'm struggling and that's what we're trying to do with our environment with our people is yeah and if you are then go and do something about it but here's the opportunities to do something with it mm. Um, and it's then as you said before you can walk people to the door mm. but you have to be able to walk through it yourself yeah and that comes with confidence and no one can know how someone else is feeling like mm. this is the funny thing when you look at elite sport and the media people come from swing from the hip and make a comment and they would have no idea what mm. the factors are that lead to an outcome they wouldn't know what anyone is going through when they yeah. can't make decisions but they write stories because that's what their job is yeah but what I find as a leader is the first thing you need to do is ask why. Like, if someone's not performing in the role and you look at athletes, well, what's going on? Mm. Why? Why are you feeling that way? If someone's not performing in their job, why? what's what's happening? And then you get a layer of, oh, I've got this going on, I've got this going on. Oh, shit. Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. How about we try and work those things out so then you can do the other thing? But no one asks why. No. Everyone's like, and no one's unfair because people are now doing it, but the, the area where people fail, the area where people that potentially have their own struggles is because no one's willing to ask the why or the person's not willing to ask the why themselves. Why is it that I'm feeling this way? Mm. Um, and having those kind of transparent conversations with people that you trust. One thing I think I talked about in a couple of episodes was that I'm very proud of my own introspection when it comes to sometimes I'm a prick. I would consider myself a good person, but sometimes I'm I can be a real not a very nice guy, and it's not because that bloke that cut me off is the worst guy in the world. Because sometimes I get cut off and I'll just laugh about it. But there's often underlying things where you look at yourself and you go, "Hold on a second, you need to reassess and what's going on with you." There's quite often a why. Now, mate, we've come to the fan question time. Fan question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there'd be many fans of me, mate. I've seen some of the people you've interviewed. I think they'd have a bit of a fan following, but I don't think I do. Now, this man, this is his real name. This is his real name. This is his real name. Say his real name. Yeah, his real name is Mames Jigferson. Mames Jigferson? Yeah, that's his real name. Yeah, right. And he asked a question. He said, uh, he knows you're a great sportsman. Obviously, you played a bit of football and a bit of cricket throughout your time but he questioned whether your greatest sporting achievement was the tackle you made 
Subiaco over when you tackled Gary Kibbertson on the wing. Gary Is that Kibbertson. your greatest? It's during the, an it's, AFL it's game. The, it's the greatest achievement I've had during an AFL game. You've got zero games to your name and still one tackle. Can you tell a bit of the and, story? And one 50-metre penalty. <laughs> and one, yeah, free um, Yeah, no. So when they first, it was, this is when I started, young, I think I'll be running up 2014, we'll go it okay. And I actually developed quite a good relationship with um, Gary Kibbertson. Um, become friends after his time at Freo. Um, so we're playing against Stevie J and Geelong, I think. It might even be when he moved to the Giants, one of those games. Garrett could run the ball over the line, had the ball in his hands. It was deliberate. Uh, my job was the interchange steward, trying to make sure everyone goes on and off. I took my job very seriously. And around the time when free kicks... Were and, a big deal. And interchange penalty. They were yeah. given free kicks like yeah. in front of goal. No, nah, they were very, very big deal. And, and Ross used to... When those kind of things happen in a game from officials or the trainer running through the mark. But Ross doesn't know about this. That was my fault. He actually got Garrick off the ground and gave it to him. So Garrick's kind of come off the ground and Sonny's trying to get off as well at the same time and I knew Sonny had a rotation. So I've kind of gone to move Garrick out of the way to clear the path for Sonny. As I've gone to move Garrick out of the way, he's had the ball in his hand and I basically slapped the ball, his arm, and he dropped the ball because um, he was supposed to give it back to Stevie J. Mm-hmm. I think it maybe was out in the fall, deliberate. Anyway, Stevie J, as he does, he's throwing his arms up in the air and looks at the umpire and... Umpire's blowing his whistle and saying 50 metres. Anyway, so I'm oblivious because I'm in my zone of mm. getting the players on and off the ground. And um, Sonny's gone off the ground and Garrick's turned around, looked at me and he's mate, what the was that? Like, anyway, so i got a WhatsApp with a big group of friends and um, yeah, ever since then, Garrick's never let me uh, live it down. To this day, I still say that it's his fault. It needs better ball security. But, yeah, um, yeah. Needs the Michael Jordan one hand. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I'll take that one. Yeah, my greatest achievement on the AFL football field is probably one arm chop Great and tackle. a 50-metre penalty. Did you get any feedback from the coaching staff? Was anyone No, I, don't, I think Garrick got dragged and actually got a talking to for the 50-metre penalty. I think we won, only just. But um, yeah, no, that's, uh, <laughs> that's up there as my biggest achievement. <laughs> now, I know that we've talked about a lot of things, but one thing that struck me was your initial coffee that you talked about on um, the public holiday, 7 a.m., you're in your slacks. Now, it's basically a sliding doors moment where it's led you to here. Who knows if you had to just rolled out of metros on the cappuccino strip and walked <laughs> and waited there on the park bench. Um, but it's an example of making a good first impression. That's a you know cliche that everyone says first impressions count. You strike me as the type of guy who, any situation, you're going to give 100% to it. And that's an example of that. One, is that true? Uh, and yep. Two, okay. what are your philosophies? In terms of? In terms of giving your best and giving 100% to a situation. Um, yeah, the, the first answer is no. I'm definitely pretty good at sometimes picking and choosing. Um, but I guess it's probably aligned to when it's passion. When it's something that I'm really passionate about, uh, I'll give it 100%. Um, in terms of my application to fitness regimes and probably what I play in my local footy occasionally I not that uh, don't always go 100% but um, in my job now yeah, I'm pretty passionate what I do so I, I do want to go above and beyond but that's if I expect it of others then I should expect it of myself um, and in terms of philosophies um, one of the things that I've always 
look to instill, I guess, in others that I've I've met is this phrase of it. It's it's a good phrase, and I think it actually came a little bit from Ross's time. Is it's never as good or as bad as it seems, and it's an interesting one in elite sport because you can lose two games and the world is ending, and you win the next game and you are the kings. Mm. Um, and it's a philosophy I've taken a little bit with our industry because you can get caught up in the moment and one of the things that I look at from another philosophy perspective is sustained, consistent success. And if you can be as consistent as possible, then people know what they're going to get. And if you're up and down and to the side, then it puts people off guard and they're not quite sure. So um, they're probably a little bit of the, the themes in terms of being consistent um, and genuine. Like I really like that word. Like, I hope that people think that I'm genuine um, and that I don't have an agenda for um, an outcome that I might want um, uh, and trustworthy. They're the kind of things that I want to be known for. Um, I think innovative and those types of things kind of come with with the role that I play. Um, but yeah, the, the never as good or as bad as it seems is a good one because um, you look at Geelong and you go and win a premiership last year and then they lose, what was it, the first four games mm-hmm. and everyone's like, oh my God, what's happening in this place? The world's yeah. ending. Um, and you go, well, hang on. Like they've got the same people. The people haven't changed. And it's the thing I said to you about earlier, why? Um, there's a guy that we use called Andrew Horbin he's a cultural um, leadership facilitator and he says this word of be curious um, and be passionate but not attached so put your ego at the door leave it at the side because your ego is not going to help anyone here um, but be curious to the why how do we get better how do you get the most out of yourself how do you have good relationships they're kind of five or six probably now mate that I've outlined but there's just yeah there's so many different things you can focus on um, but yeah the genuine self is, is a big one what advice we always end with some advice <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who's looking to achieve their best self and maybe it can be an example of people that you've seen come through the door at the footy club and you go that man or woman got absolutely everything out of themselves is there anyone that sticks out for you that you've seen and what advice would you give to someone looking to achieve their best oh yeah this in terms of people that i've seen over our industry um like yeah you can't go past some of the athletes that we've got um dave mundy rings a bell he's played a few games and and one of the ones with dave like he's humble mm. like it wasn't always about dave um and i love that um but he was never overawed by any occasion. And that's probably another thing, like you know, the balance and calm um, in terms of someone you think about. Like just when you think, when you, when you said that question, I kind of look at that. Um, in, in terms of advice, I'm, I'm not one to, I guess, seeing from the rooftops about stuff that I've done, because everyone's on their own journey. You said it, and you're going to be on your own. And my whole my advice was a little bit about be passionate about your own journey. If you're not passionate about it, then you're wasting your time. Um, and if you aren't passionate, go and find something that you are. Um, then find, the next one would be mentors, coaches. Um, 
don't go and have a mentor that is someone that will tell you what you want to hear, is my advice. Go and find someone that you respect and that you trust and you have a really strong relationship with, but someone that's going to tell, you to, tell it to you straight um, and that inspires you. You don't just want someone that's going to tell you to you straight and puts you down. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, far out, mate. I don't want to talk to you again. Look, Luke, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> but you're a nice person. Yeah. Um, but then inspires you to go, here's the opportunity. This is where you can, this is where you can go to the next level. Um, that's the, the biggest one I've, I've had. And outside the mentors and, and the passion piece, I'll talk about purpose. Well, you know, we have this thing of legacy. I think they're intertwined really massively. Um, my purpose, I would say, is um, to achieve that I uh, achieve the most that I can to provide an environment at this club where people can be their best self. Um, but that's your professional purpose. But have a personal purpose, and my personal purpose is to inspire my kids um, to be great people and and follow their their own dreams. And sounds cliche, um, and for them to love their home environment they have would be kind of the personal element. Awesome, mate. Um, we've, come to the, we've come to the end of it. Uh, I'd, I wanted to say, I'd, I don't know why, I was overwhelmed by just, I think that we talk a lot about gratitude and, you know, all that jazz. I want to tell you on the way here, right, I was so excited. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why, but as I mentioned earlier, we've known each other for a very long time. We've been in each other's, lives not you know not but we see each other a fair bit um and you're a pretty special guy pretty inspiring um and it's really been great to to have a chat with you now i understand what you do uh which is pretty <laughs> For six months a year yeah, yeah yeah and then the rest of the time i think you said something you've got a beach house or something where you're putting your feet up somewhere else um, but no mate it's been very good to talk to you thanks very much for for coming on um i hope you enjoyed it no, mate, no, and straight back at you. For I guess those listeners that are out there, mate, to to see the maturity and the inspiration that you give from what you want to talk about and invest in other people having these conversations, um, and the fact that you're on your own journey a little bit and have had those things you've had to navigate over the way, that's that's inspiring in itself. So good to have a chat with the um, the six year old kid that used to always nag me to go and have a kick in the footy. He's um he's changed a bit into a marathon runner. We can still have a kick if you want. I know we, the door's just there for the other. Yeah, no, I think I've got a bad head. <laughs> People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. What a quote that is. As I've mentioned before, I work with kids and, and that. And at the moment, that quote is definitely something that I'm trying to live by. Thanks very much for listening today, everyone. I hope you got as much out of the chat as I did. What a special man Joe Bridie is and how good he is for the Fremantle Dockers. He's a great fella. Now that's about enough from me, but in the meantime, check in on your mind, check in on your mates, and I'll see you next time.